Thank you so much for your kind introduction. And this is the first night of the first pre-performance talk of the year. I'm thrilled to see all of you. Uh, how many of you like Verdi? Okay, stand up if you don't like Verdi. This is an especially exciting night for you don't know this and you can't see it, but this is the first ever, you'll be taking part in the first ever simulcast from the Chandler Pavilion. Uh, and out right now, there's a big crowd out on the pier uh, in Santa Monica. It's estimated that it's going to be larger than the one here tonight, and we are completely sold out here. So um, they can see you, you can't see them. Will you wave at them and shout at them and say hi and welcome to you all on the pier. And for those uh, that are out in the pier, um, you can shout at each other and get acquainted. How many of you are seeing uh, La Traviata for the first time? I can hear them screaming from the pier. There's a whole lot of them out there as well. Uh, welcome to all of you out there, and uh, of course, welcome to you here. Those of you that are out on the pier will not, maybe have not seen me um, before give one of these pre-performance talks. There's a sort of a ritual here. Um, I talk uh, fast because I try to squeeze in as much information as I can into 45 minutes. Um, I always bring an iPod. I play musical excerpts. Being over 39, I am handicapped technically, I am challenged, so things go wrong regularly, but my pals are down there to help me out, so please bear with me if, uh, if this does not, let's see if this music is working, we'll check it out. I have brought you a selection of singers, here they go. <laughs> That's very good. That's Giuseppe Di Stefano. There's a famous recording made in the 1950s, Maria Callas singing La Traviata, Violetta, Giuseppe Di Stefano, Ettore Bastianini, and conducted by Carlo Maria Giulini. That's a historic uh, live performance from La Scala from the 1950s. Now, what is La Traviata? It is one of the 26 operas that written by Giuseppe Verdi. Giuseppe Verdi, uh, the, greatest, uh, the greatest composer of Italian music, uh, one of the greatest composers uh, in the history of classical music. He is certainly wrote, wrote the, uh, turned the Italian tradition uh, and brought it to its zenith. Okay, you have just, you will remember, and of those of you that would like to see, remember we have a nice, big, beautiful bust of Giuseppe right around the corner. Uh, it was given to us as a gift last year because last year was the 200th anniversary. He was born in 1813 and he lived a very long life until 1901. Uh, La Traviata was premiered in the middle of that. This is a middle period opera. His operas are divided up into early, middle, and late, uh, even though that's very schematic and there's in-betweens as well. But there is, uh, in the middle period, there are three operas which are considered his three middle period masterpieces. Um, let's see, anybody can name them? Rigoletto, anybody? Yeah, Rigoletto, Il Trovatore. And La Traviata. La Traviata is the third of these three operas. Uh, they were written uh, all within two years of each other, and astonishingly, between the premiere of Il Trovatore and the premiere of La Traviata, there were only eight weeks. He essentially wrote uh, both operas at the same time, and uh, it's amazing that he could do so because they are, in many ways, very different from one another. Uh, if you've seen the, uh, the Marx Brothers uh, version of... Il Trovatore, A Night at the Opera. Uh, 
try to forget it. <laughs> it's, a far, it's, it's actually far more serious than all of that. Um, Verdi, who had a genius for uh, dramatic uh, values, was in his way revolutionary. Um, this, these three operas are considered by some old-fashioned that has a melody, you can whistle, you can sing it. Uh, it's not so complicated that you can't understand the music. And yet, at the time, all three of these operas were revolutionary subjects. Rigoletton was, um, as you will remember, a misanthropic hunchback who, was, who redeems himself through his love of his daughter. It was unheard of in the theater to put a uh, hunchback as a serious character. They were circus characters. Um, the gypsies were despised race, uh, uh, and unfortunately that, that continues to this day, to make a hero out of a gypsy woman, Azucena, and put her in the front of the opera was revolutionary. And most of all, La Traviata, because Violetta, uh, Violetta Valeri, Violetta, La Traviata, is, uh, of course, a courtesan. Courtesan is a very, very, uh, is a euphemistic term for uh, a woman who works in prostitution. So, Violetta Valerie is, in fact, a prostitute, but she not only redeems herself, she shows herself to be, uh, to be a greater human being, knowing what the meaning of love is, more compassion, more love, more understanding of humanity than the other characters who are supposedly coming from fine backgrounds. More on that later. Uh, this, it's very exciting for me to be able to do this first simulcast today because La Traviata is an opera that has always been uh, associated in my life with firsts. It, in fact, was the first opera I saw uh, in, well, I don't want to tell you the year, I was 11 years old. It was the first opera I saw and I fell in love with opera that night and it was a matter of months before I decided just what I wanted to do with my life. Uh, the first time I was able to put together a student orchestra at the Juilliard School where I was studying exactly 10 years after that in, in 1971, I chose to conduct the second act of La Traviata because simply I loved it so much. Uh, it was of the first Verdi opera that I conducted at the Metropolitan Opera, 1978. And it was the first opera, this is the most important of all, it was the first opera I conducted when I came here to Los Angeles Opera, opening night of my first season in 2006. Uh, it comes from a story that is contemporary uh, with Verdi's life. It comes from, uh, well, it begins with a true story about a woman, her, her, her name was Alphonsine, she became known as Marie Duplessis, uh, a French girl from the country, went to the city, um, uh, got started working on the street, but gradually, through her great intelligence, uh, and her ability to, uh, as a social uh, person who understood society, she moved herself up, way up, and had a career being kept by some of the most brilliant men, some of the wealthiest men in Paris, and uh, in fact, such famous people as Franz Liszt were amongst those many lovers. Now, she had a brief affair with a man named Alexander Dumas. He was, a, a, he was the son of another Alexander Dumas, so we call them Alexander Dumas' père, the father, and Alexander Dumas' fils. The son. This is Alexandre Dumas' fils, who is charmed by uh, Marie de Plessis, and he spends a certain amount of time with her in a very, very torrid uh, relationship. He, unlike the others, does not have enough money to keep her happy. So, of course, she has to make ends meet. She works her business. She does like him to a certain degree. Now, the tragedy of uh, Marie Duplessis is that she, as many people did at the time, was suffering from tuberculosis. She will die at the age of 24. 
Alexandre Dumas, of course, will memorialize that life and his love and, and, by turning it into a, a, a novel. The novel will be called The Lady of the Camellias, which is to wear a, a camellia that was her trademark. Now, uh, he then turned that into a play. But if it weren't for Giuseppe Verdi and the fact that he chose it as a story, not uh, even less than 10 years after the fact, he immortalized it by, uh, by writing one of the greatest operas, and certainly one of the most beloved operas um, ever written. Now, um, in many ways, it's a conventional opera. Uh, you know we have high voices, sopranos. We have high men voices called tenors. We have medium voices called baritones and low voices uh, called basses. They were, uh, they were st stereotypic. Um, it was the convention for the first half of the 19th century, and basically you would never leave this convention. The soprano was generally good, not always. Sometimes she was bad, but generally she was good. She was usually in love. She usually wins our sympathy, and she usually dies at the end. Okay, the tenor is usually in love. He is usually in love with the soprano. He may or may not die. It's not a necessity, apparently. Uh, and uh, there is some obstacle to their love. Now, usually, if there's a second woman and she's a mezzo-soprano, she's the obstacle. In this opera, that is not an issue. But there is an obstacle, and so that obstacle falls to the man, the male, and that's the baritone, the lower voice, somehow or other, uh, is elderly, evil, or at least in some way an obstacle to the love. So we have those three elements. We have a soprano, a tenor, and a baritone. Now, here we go. Uh, the name of the, of the protagonist is Violetta. Violetta, uh, we've moved away from the French names, and we have, uh, we have uh, Italian names. Violetta is, by the way, vo uh, viola, uh, violet, is the color of uh, mourning or the Lenten season in the traditional Roman Catholic Church. So there may be a relationship between that color and the fact that this young woman, beautiful woman, is doomed to die a young death. Um, she is loved by Alfredo. You're going to see him meet her for the first time. He's been in love with her for a year. And he is a young boy from Provence, the country, in other words. He's not sophisticated. He's come to Paris to try to find his way. He falls in love with her, and he gets in over his head. Now, he has a father, and that's the baritone. And the father, who will appear in the second act, uh, will become the obstacle to their love because coming from a traditional, let's say, uh, uh, family of bourgeois values, he cannot tolerate the idea that his son is living in an open relationship with a woman who was a courtesan. Now, the fact that she's given that up, the fact that she's supporting him, um, which is unbeknownst to him at the beginning, uh, does not change the fact that he wants this relationship finished. Why? Because he has a daughter, and he wants to marry off that daughter, and he cannot get the consent of the groom and the family of the groom to marry uh, the sister because there is a scandal in the family. So that scandal is going to be, um, that's going to be the pivotal point of this story. Now, you're going to meet a whole lot of other people. They are barons, marquises, uh, people who hang out in what's called the demi-monde in Paris. That is high society or low society, depending on how you view it. High society if you look at their checkbooks, low society if you look at their morals. 
these are parties that took place regularly in salons, and they were very frankly very bawdy. Drinking, lots of drinking, lots of gambling, and lots of visiting some of the nice young ladies who were there for hire. That's what you are actually looking at. Now, that's always sort of cleaned up for you in opera houses, because in opera houses we're usually pretty proper, although that's changing nowadays. Uh, that's actually what, this, uh, what the, the, the context is. Very interestingly, Verdi, who wrote 26 operas, wrote 25 of them set in other times. He never wrote an opera on a contemporary subject and placed it in his own time, except for La Traviata. As I uh, um, might have mentioned, the uh, Alexander the Dumas fils wrote this and published it in, 19, in 1848. He turned it into a play in 1852, and Verdi turned it into an opera in 1853. So you can't get any more contemporary than that. For some reason that we do not understand, the censors forced Verdi to change it and place it in 1700. It's not clear why. They also made him change the title. It was originally called, um, called Love and Death just like the Woody Allen film. They didn't like that, and so they came up with La Traviata. La Traviata is a word that means the woman who went astray. So Violetta will say this word in the fourth act. She will refer to her herself as the woman who went astray. So uh, you have the main characters. The, there are rival lovers. There's a baron, and he's going to, we're going to see him interact with Alfredo. Um, there's a marquis. He seems to be, uh, at least uh, at this time, uh, hanging out with Violetta's friend, uh, Flora. Uh, there's a doctor, Dr. Uh, Violetta has a, a, a servant, but the three main characters are the triangle. That's the triangle, soprano, tenor, bass, okay? Um, and you will see it all play out in three acts. The first act takes place in August. The second act will take place in January, and the third act will take place in February, which means we are at the end of her life. Uh, we will see her, uh, we will see her sick, but uh, holding court and keeping her social life um, in August. But by February, she has moved into the country with Alfredo because she has left that life because she has found true love. This is an opera that will pit true love against the superficiality of the social life to be found at the time in Paris. Uh, it's an opera about sacrifice. Violetta will sacrifice her love for Alfredo for the sake of Alfredo's mother, father, or if there is a mother, she's never mentioned, father and sister. Um, that theme of sacrifice will be touched upon uh, in some of the entertainment in Act Two. You will see a party where there are gypsy girls and where there are people dressed up pretending to be matadors and picadors. But what is the subject of matadors and picadors, of course, is the uh, sacrifice, murder, if you will, of a bull. And you will hear that referred to in the last act because in February, Violetta is dying and outside of her window we hear the sounds of carnival. And carnival, as you know, as including what it has is a fattened uh, bull who is, of course, a symbol also of sacrifice. So that's a very important, uh, uh, important theme. The other interesting, uh, and I will, uh, I will not insist on this too much, but there is an autobiographical uh, 
color to this opera because uh, uh, Giuseppe Verdi was a very private man. I don't believe he would ever put his own life on the stage. Also, he was an artist who had distance from his characters. Uh, it was not the era where people confessed their own lives. But it is strikingly similar to Verdi in two ways. First of all, he went to Paris. He wanted success there. He had success there. But he actually hated Paris. He hated the society. He considered it, um, he considered it oppressive. He didn't like the people in the theater. Uh, I worked in, as music director of the Paris Opera for nine years. I loved it. Giuseppe Verdi hated it. That is one element. And you will see a critical eye being cast on Parisian life. Far more important, however, uh, Giuseppe Verdi was married very young, and in a very short time, both of his children and wife all died. He, he was never to have children, at least that we know of, uh, ever again in his life, and that, that, that loss played a profound role in his life. Um, he became involved with a famous prima donna. Her name was Giuseppina Strepponi. He fell in love with her, she with him, and they, uh, they came together um, in the 1840s, she was a woman who had a scandalous reputation because she had lived openly with some of the men, impresarios, tenors of all things, uh, and she had several illegitimate children, which she gave gave up, but had to uh, but had to support. She was considered untouchable in society. Giuseppe Verdi saw in her a woman of extraordinary intelligence, extraordinary talent. She was, after all, an accomplished opera singer, and he chose her for his mate for his life. He had to put up with a lot of abuse for it. She put up with a lot of abuse for it. But you can imagine his disdain by the time this opera comes around for the, uh, what he would refer to as the petty bourgeois values of his little town, Buceto, where he, for a while, attempted to live with his new woman, who eventually he would marry and would become his wife. So um, there is an element, at least a residue of Verdi's personal life in this, uh, in this story. So now I want to um, take out my iPod and start to walk you through some of the important things, some of the things you'll be able to recognize, um, some of the uh, melodies which are very famous. This is a very popular opera and has a very, uh, it has a big following. Um, but I'm going to race through this now. There are 95 excerpts. They're all short. There will be a test uh, at the end of the evening. Even those of you out in the pier, you're going to have a test as well. Okay, there is a principle, there is a principle theme. Here it is, it's the love theme. That is Alfredo, who's gonna sing it for the first time in act one. This will recur at very important points at the opera. As I mentioned before, that's, uh, uh, that's Giuseppe Di Stefano. Now, you will remember, uh, we worked on this last year, if you can remember last year's syllabus. Rossini operas, Verdi operas, they have a form. They are built in scenes, and a scene has an introduction, a slow introduction, a slow song, aria, or duet, a bridge passage leading to a fast section. Does anybody remember that? Good, okay. Uh, they'll just give you a quick refresher while, how you're going to be able to recognize them in this opera. But at the same time, I'm going to tell you something. Verdi is about to leave this structure for, uh, and, and chart new territory after La Traviata. In other words, this is the culmination of those conventions that were very strict. 
First, an opera starts with a prelude or an overture, and here is a prelude, very soft, and the prelude will set the tone for the entire opera, or at least Verdi will give you a hint what is the most important. This opera starts with this beautiful, haunting music. It is, of course, music that we're going to hear in the last act. It is going to put the, the, the pall of death over the entire opera because we're going to see brilliant, lively people, Violetta most of all, but we're going to understand that she has, she is condemned and she herself knows that she does not have long to live. So that's your prelude. Now, now he, here is Maria Callas. This is the famous aria from the first act. It's a slow introduction which is in the form of a recitative. The words are more important than the music. This is how you'll recognize it. Then she sings a slow song. Okay? So you musicians, that's called an andante. That means slower, just going, not too fast. Then there is... This is the bridge. Follia means folly or nonsense. This aria has juxtaposed true love against the superficial uh, uh, life that Violetta knows. Okay. And here is something very famous. You'll recognize this. This is the third part, which is called a cabaletta, having to do with horses. And it goes fast, and it's brilliant. Okay, remember that? And it ends up, in this, in this case, it combines the music of love with the tenor. Okay, now we go to the second act. The tenor is going to get his scene. He gets to sing a slow aria. That is the general director of Los Angeles Opera singing Placido Domingo. Alfredo. I'll give you early warning. You're not going to hear him sing Alfredo tonight. He has not canceled. He is now the father. He has become a baritone and he is now the father. This is the slow aria. This is now the the cabaletta, the fast part. Okay? Now there's going to be a central scene in this opera. It is the confrontation of Violetta and the father of Alfredo, known as Germont. It is a very uh, dramatic scene. It is the core of the opera. It is a, a scene of genius. The scene itself could stand by itself. It is, however, nonetheless structured like a scene. It has a slow part. Here it, uh, it has an introduction. And though very complex, later it's going to have a cabaletta or a fast part. That's Maria Callas again. So we have a duet. It is a scene. Right? Now we have the baritone. He gets his aria. This is Di Provenza il Mar. This is the father appealing to his son, say, son, come home. It was so nice there. Remember you enjoyed life and your loving family is there and I'm there and all those things that are going to make you forget this wicked woman you've met in Paris. God sent me here to tell you this. Okay. Are you going to break your father's heart but I prayed to God and he heard me. So you see, he invokes God for his 
bourgeois values. Okay? He's going to be, he's going to, in his way, perpetrate a tragedy because he is going to break this love and he's going to break Violetta's heart and she will die one month later. That is Verdi's irony. Okay, when he's all finished with that, he's going to sing a slightly faster aria. Verdi is already modifying the arias so that they are not about vocal fireworks anymore, they're about the character. And because Germont is older, he doesn't sing quite as fast as Violetta. Now, do you remember at the end of the first part, there's always something called the concertato. It's like a concert. The entire cast is on stage, entire cast, chorus, and the dramatic action has come to a stalemate. The conflict is so embroiled now that it can't go forwards or backwards, so everybody stands still and sings. At the end of that, you know it's the end of the middle of the opera. In fact, it's two-thirds through this hour. Okay? And then in the last act, there's another duet. Now it's tenor and soprano. They will both get a chance to sing. That's Maria Callas. This is when Alfredo and Violetta are reconciled and they, they determine to leave Paris and find an idyllic existence, happiness in the country. She knows it's an illusion because she knows she will die. Alfredo tries to believe it for the moment. And then there's a cabaletta. It's so slightly faster. It will end with a fast part called a stretta. Okay, are you ready to go? That's the structure. Slow introduction, talking recitative, slow song, andante, middle section, bridge, which is going to be fast, and a contrasting aria that goes faster. That's the old opera. La Traviata is the end of that. From the next opera on, he's going to chip away at that so that by the time you get to the late operas, uh, Aida, Falstaff, Otello, you're not even going to see vestiges of this. Now, the opera, as I mentioned, starts out with the prelude, which is the prelude, which starts with this beautiful, haunting motive. I'll bring it up a little bit. In the prelude, Verdi is going to set out the three main themes that he considers the most important ones, the ones he wants you to bear in mind. This, of course, is the tragedy. This is the theme of tragedy. This is the theme of the death of this beautiful young woman. And once he's established that, he's going to give you this one. This one you know. This melody will be sung by Violetta in the second act at the moment that she takes her leave of Alfredo. In other words, she will leave Alfredo. She says to him, Amami Alfredo, quanti io tamai. Love me as I have loved you. He doesn't understand why, but she, has, of course, has determined to sacrifice her own love. So Verdi shows us that as the main, as the main subject. Now, he does something else. You get the same melody in the cellos. Can you hear it there? But I want you to concentrate on the violins. You hear this? 
Jacob, which is the mirror image to Violetta. This is the Violetta of the Demimonde. This is the Violetta of the Salon. This is the Violetta, the courtesan, and that life. So he's contrasting brilliantly by giving the Celli the, the, the main uh, sacrificial, the great sacrifice for love, uh, as if she were Brunhilde, and at the same time, this light, delicate music which will represent Violetta and her lifestyle. So you get them both put together like that. There it is, Violetta. That's her old life as a courtesan, interrupted with the great love. And that is going to die away into the distance. In other words, we give it a, a, a snapshot. It's going to die away. So this is not an overture which is meant to provoke applause. It's not like the Rossini overtures. It's just the opposite. It's to give you the mood. And he's going to break that mood with a bang. Forget, forget about death. Forget about love. We're at a party, all right? The first act is a party. The third scene, act, act two, scene two, is a party. The intimate acts are act two and the final act. So do we get the picture? Verdi writes superficial music for what he considers a superficial society. Okay. The chorus comes in. It always does at the beginning of conventional operas, and this is no different. To illustrate, to illustrate, we have salon music. You know, you've all been probably to Venice or someplace like that where these little string quartets play while you eat and da dance and drink. They, they're playing that music. This is what this is. So Verdi writes his own salon music and accompanies the action. Now another, this one you know, of course. Believe it or not, the church organist, when I was growing up as a little boy, used to play that at the mass. So I, I had no idea what I was listening to at the time. I was six or seven years old. Uh, but I knew it. When I went to the opera, I recognized it. Now, everyone, that's a very famous melody. This is a drinking song. That is another typical uh, convention of operas. So first, Alfredo will propose a toast. So it's a, like a duet. That is Placido Domingo. Okay, now she'll answer. Violetta gives a toast right back. That's Ileana Cotrubas. This is conducted by Carlos Kleiber. And then they sing together. So it's a perfect structure. So remember that when we get there, he sings, the chorus reacts. She sings, the chorus reacts. They sing together, the chorus reacts. And then we move on to a dance. There's a band in the next room. Another convention of Italian opera. And you'll notice it's all waltz music. 
The waltz had taken over Europe by this time. And so Verdi writes, most of the love music is written in 3-4. Uh, in For those of you that didn't study music, that means that beats are split up into three parts, as opposed to four. Okay, so this is all waltz music. The first act takes place waltzing. Until... Until she coughs, feels bad, asks to be left alone, she withdraws or asks the others to leave, and of course Alfredo barges right in. This is his big moment. He's been in love with her for a year. He tells her that, and he sings to her, and he says, I'm in love with you with that love which makes the universe palpitate. And then he refers to it as croce e delizia, cross as in crucifixion and delight. In other words, great loves are both of those things. They are great delight and great suffering. That's where the word passion comes from. And so he's basically telling her, this is what love is about. Palpitation of the universe, great delight, but also great suffering. Her answer? She's a little flippant. She says, if that's the case, you better get lost. You hear that flippant music? You heard it already. Verdi told us about that in the prelude. There's the prelude again, right? Hear the violins? That's Violetta in her flippant mood, as, as opposed to the seriousness of the cello melody. More waltzes. And now the scene it's her scene, it's, she says, estrano, it's strange. I've never had this type of palpitation in my heart before. She's really taken with this young man, but here's a death motive. You heard that? No mistake, for Giuseppe Ferri used that motive. He used it all his life, including in a comic way in Falstaff. So that's how you know that's what she's thinking when she's saying it. Then she has her slow part, which we don't. And she says, maybe it is he who will bring to my heart, to my soul, the love I always yearned for. So she did yearn for it once upon a time. And she repeats the principal theme. Quel amor, quel amor, che il palpito dell'universo. It's the palpitation of the universe. Okay, then she says, no, it's nonsense. Folie, it's nonsense, folly. This is a delirio, delirio. She says, I'm a miserable woman, sola, alone, abandonata, abandoned. In questo popoloso deserto che si appellano Parigi, in this populated desert that they call Paris. So she's surrounded by people, but she is alone, abandoned, and sad. A, a, co a commentary that I think everybody of us will have experienced at some time or other in our lives. That phrase, this populated desert, which is called Paris, actually is to be found in a letter that Verdi wrote before he wrote La Traviata, when he was in Paris, unhappy. And so it's, it is coming, that is coming from the heart. So she decides just to repress all that. And to sempre libera, always free, to go from joy to joy, 
flower to flower, pleasure to pleasure. And you hear in its liveliness and its brilliance, its superficiality will, for the moment, repress the feelings of true love. Okay, so that is the first act. Um, then you get to reflect on all that during intermission. Uh, but before you do, the tenor comes back to remind you and her that there's true love. Hear him there? And she says again, folly, 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 folia, folia. And she sings it all again. And he comes in and he insists. So Verdi has set out the parameters now. There's true love and there is the repression of that true love. Let's see what's going to happen in Act 2. They are now, it's now uh, January. They are living in the country in a beautiful setting. The slow part, Alfredo is saying what a happy life he's having. His spirits are just bubbling. That is Placido Domingo. But then things are going to change. Violetta comes in and Alfredo runs off to Paris because he has discovered that, in fact, Violetta is selling her belongings in order to support him. As any good male, he should be ashamed of himself. He goes running off to Paris to do who knows what, uh, to try to find some money and to bring it back. His father visits Violetta while he is away. And the father, and this is the central scene, is going to start by telling Violetta First of all, he treats her peremptorily. He thinks he's talking to a, a common streetwalker. In fact, he finds a woman with dignity, with manners, and he's very impressed. So he has to be more subtle. He starts to tell her he has a program. His program is to convince this woman to give up Alfredo. So he says, Alfredo has a sister who is pure like an angel. And he says it would really make us all happy if you would just Give up this relationship and let this young lady uh, marry a young man as she as she is intended to. Of course, she refuses. She reacts like a caged tiger and she says, I will not give him up. I would rather die than give him up. So Germain has to change his approach. She says, yes, I understand. It's a great sacrifice. Bella voi siete e giovane. You're beautiful and you're young. However, col tempo, with time, she says, don't say it. She knows exactly what he's, what's he, what he's up to. She says, I don't care. It's impossible for me. I will be only in love with him. But he keeps working at it. And he says, well, one day, you know, you're going to, uh, you're going to get older, and then you're not going to have the blessings of the church because you're not married and you don't have children. And that, that is where her guilt about her own past life allows her to give in. And so she gives in to She says, this is the way it is for every woman who has fallen. God will forgive us, but not mankind, not society, not men. And so she finally, in her moment, she gives in and she says, Tell that young lady, the one who is so pure and so young, that somewhere there is a woman who sacrificed for her happiness. 
and the father is now becoming more sympathetic. Pianji, Pianji, weep, weep, weep. He is, in fact, impressed with her, but he still wants what he wants. And she says, I will die, but please do not allow Alfredo to curse my memory. And then the father leaves, she writes a letter, and whenever somebody writes a letter in Middle Verdi, a, a woodwind instrument speaks the text that we do not see. You hear the clarinet. What is she gonna tell him? She actually makes a plan. She's gonna to return to her ex-lover, the Baron. And when Alfredo unexpectedly comes in, in a panic, she takes her farewell. And here, the most moving phrase of the opera. This is the central phrase of the opera. You heard it in the prelude, here it is. Amami Alfredo, love me. Love me as I have loved you. are allowed to applaud. And those of you at the pier, you can applaud as well. Now, out she goes, and Alfredo, like a young innocent, says, ah, oh, that sweet lady, she just lives for me. Gets, he thinks he just got a peck on the cheek. He doesn't understand what's happened. Uh, but he's a... Now, he will soon, because his father comes in, and as pointed out before, the father will now work on him. And he will say, come back to Provence, come back to your home. Your family's waiting for you. This you know as well. Alfredo is in a bad mood, he's not listening, and at the, at the end of the act, when the father has twice tried to convince him, he will discover, to a great blast, he will see the, uh, the letter to the baron, he will see the invitation to Flora's, uh, Flora's uh, party. He knows that she has left to go back to her old life. And the second act curtain will come ringing down. Now we are exactly halfway through the opera, and I'm going to leave you dangling right there, so that I'm not going to tell you everything that's going to happen in the second part. But just remember the uh, the overall outlines. You're going to see what you're going to see is the party at Flora. You're going to see the confrontation between the Baron, who is the ex-lover of Violetta and Alfredo. They will have a duel. We will not see the duel. That's in between acts two and three. And the, the Baron will be wounded, but Alfredo will be fine. Uh, Violetta goes into her little home in Paris and waits and waits and waits and waits. And when the tragic act four curtain goes up, she is near death and abandoned and alone. She has not heard from Alfredo. She has a single letter that Father Germain wrote to her and said, I realize now I have done a terrible thing. I appreciate your sacrifice. He will come to see you, and I will come to see you. Well, it wouldn't be an opera if they didn't. So, yes, they arrive at the last moment. Alfredo first. They have a, 
they reconcile themselves, uh, and then the father arrives in enough time to gather around uh, the dying Violetta. What will she do at the end of her life is that she will give a locket of her own picture. She will give it to Alfredo, and, she's, and she says, someday you will marry a young girl, pure and virginal. Give her this locket and tell her that there is an angel in heaven who is praying for you and praying for her. You ready to cry? You should be. Have a great time. See you there. Enjoy out the pier.